since I was a child. Well, but it was difficult to be a vegetarian child in Poland. It's very hard. <laughs> yes. And I remember that few doctors told me that I have to eat meat. And almost every day when I was going back from there, that I wanted to leave and not no study law anymore. Then my hormones started to tell me something is going on. I didn't have my period for, for over a year. Hi folks, welcome to Restoring Balance podcast with me. I'm your host and friend Manoj, a teacher from the heart on a mission to make your journey a little more meaningful. I bring guests to our podcast to have a conversation. We listen to their stories, asking them the questions that matters the most in restoring balance. Balance in personal and public life, harmony in relationships, expanding emotional intelligence and above all their journey that will inspire and empower you in your journey dive in to listen laugh cry and nourish your mind body intellect and soul because you are the hero and you are the change maker hi and welcome Welcome to our new podcast and it's the first time we are here in person having a conversation with with Goshia. So there is something very important that I would like to indicate in in the starting of our podcast. So it goes back about three years ago, was it? Two and a half. Two and a half years ago, I got to meet Gosia, she came for yoga class and this was just normal. But that way we slowly, slowly start to get to know each other. And then what really fascinated me was that she is animal law researcher. Researcher. And that I found so fascinating. And like, okay, so you are studying something, something law for those living beings who cannot speak for themselves. So that was very fascinating for me. And that really got my attention. And uh, from there on, then I got to know you a little bit more and following you on your social media, on your journey, that you are traveling the world, going everywhere with <laughs> with your two beautiful kids. And now you're back in Heidelberg once again. So I would love to have you here and tell your story that how you, as a person, as a mother, as a wife, as a professional, as a researcher, are finding balance, how you're doing it. Oh my God, <laughs> I keep falling down and fighting. But if I may, to make a step back and say that I feel really privileged, I just realized that indeed I'm the first person to be interviewed. Wow, that's... You know, that puts a lot of pressure. <laughs> I, I'm trying to ignore it. <laughs> um, so about my balance, um, that's, uh, that's interesting because um, I think I was trying to keep the balance, not fight it, but to keep it through all my life. I remember that my mom always said that it's, incredible that when I was a young girl at school, I was still partying with those from, you know, the last rows 
but I was sitting in the first row and always having the good notes. So I was always partying and learning uh, very well. I was always somewhere in between. And I think all my life is a story about being in between of something. Um, but what's most important is that I believe that the balance is not something you always feel. It's something that you are in between of better and worse moments and on the journey to have more and more of this good or even best moments in your life to evolve. I can relate with it. That's that's true. So balance is not something that you're walking in a straight line. It's never like that. Definitely. You need to zigzag and that's the way that you're finding this average spot in your journey and those are the spots, those are the point, they are the point of the balance. Yes, now when we are talking about it, I'm thinking, look at anything, people who go on a diet, people who try to um, do more physical activity, people who try to drink less alcohol. Every time they fail, they say, okay, I start on Monday or okay, I'm a failure. But the thing is to fail and to get up again as quickly as you can. And sometimes it will take a week and you start next Monday, but you start this Monday. And another time it might be two days and you get up on your feet and you start again. And when you look back afterwards, then, okay, you had one failure and great five days. And then you fail again. And when you look at pros and cons, minuses and pluses, actually you are in a balance. That's the way to see. So just to indicate to our audience here that we both are non-native English speakers yeah. and it is important uh, that uh, and we expect your forgiveness that uh, if we are grammatically not correct it can be easily ignored because our audience want to understand the context of our conversation. We hope so. <laughs> so Angosia, so welcome to Restoring Balance podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Why not we start with your story? Why not we start with the time when you when you knew that okay, you want to become a lawyer. And what happened next? Mm -hmm. You were in the university and you knew that okay, this is what you want to do. When you keep asking questions, I found looking for balance in my life in the past when I didn't even think it was looking for a balance because I never wanted to be a lawyer. I never wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a psychologist or a journalist, but there was some kind of family pressure. Actually, first I flew away from studying medicine, but in the end, well, I guess I have to be a lawyer then. Okay, I will be a lawyer. But I found it very frustrating. It was a lot of pressure. The job was very stressful. Of course, I was working and I am still cooperating with law firms. That is my daily life. But uh, as a student, being just on the uh, bottom of the ladder, trying to be successful, to find next jobs, to work over hours, you know, to, to, to find your place, to be successful, it was very stressful. And I didn't feel good in the law firm. 
um and then i started um also being more active in some student organizations and i was thinking maybe about doing a phd then i thought about it as something that will allow me to run away from the law firm and maybe i will have more safe place and i was always an animal lover a vegetarian since i since i ever remember um and um how did it happen actually i found i just found a wonderful person on my way my professor uh if she would ever hear me professor eva um thank you for <laughs> thank you for helping me finding my path and i was writing an article about selling animals and i was thinking that it's you know too childish to write about it in super professional legal magazines journals mm. and she said hey why not if you can sell it if you have legal background if you really do it professionally why not and then i did my phd in animal law thanks to her of course also and um in Poland, writing about animal law, especially, well, when you are a professor, you can write about anything. But if you are doing your PhD and you are writing about animals in private law, well, I got the first negative review. Uh, and it was the first negative uh, review in the history of my university of a PhD, um, PhD employee of the university, like, you know, the good PhD students mm -hmm. got employed. Uh, but uh, just on the other side, um, my PhD was in English. I was doing a Kotutel PhD on both universities, University of Osnabrück in Germany and in Poland. And the German reviewer was very impressed with my work. But I had to change many of my views against me to be able to defend the PhD. Uh, but afterwards, uh, somebody once said that I'm kind of a unicorn, that I'm writing about animal law in private law, because writing about animal law in the context of ethics um, or philosophy is something much more common, but mm -hmm. about changing the statutes of animal law and even in the context of possibility of granting them the statues um, similar to legal persons, like taking custody over an animal, like taking custody over a child in family law. Of course, it would never be the same because animals would never have the same capacity as uh, humans, even children, but the guardianship model can be, can be used also to animals, what I believe. Yeah. So I just want to add into here that we are going a little bit deeper into the topic. And I think this is very, very important for our audience to really understand the background of the of the animal law. And I think what you are putting light on, it's uh, so fundamentally important because superficially you cannot understand. You just start to imagine. So, yeah, go on. Yeah. Um. Okay. You know, it's something you are working on for 10 years and you just try not to overwhelm the audience. Um, but it's important to say that we're in Heidelberg and here in Heidelberg is a wonderful professor, Anne Peters, uh, who is working on global animal law. 
and who invited me here first time um, two and a half years ago, and uh, this time again. And in Heidelberg is, uh, well, Heidelberg is very known for um, the animal law research. So it's all very important for me to be here. And it's also a nice thing to meet people, to meet really prominent professors who write about animal law, who are recognized in the world, mm -hmm. who are directors of the Max Planck Institute, mm -hmm. and they write about topics like this. And animal law becomes very topical right now. I might only say that what we are talking about right now is not totally out of nowhere yeah. in Spain since 2022. Animals are considered um, as part of family and mm -hmm. when people divorce, uh, the court has also to decide about the fate of that, an animal. That's very interesting. I think so many people have no idea about uh, it. That's very interesting. So you, you mean to say in Spain, animals are kind of seen as a as a part of the family. Yes. And uh, when the family, unfortunately, when they are separating, so it also taken into the, into the notice that how the member of the family, those animals are, are going to be inherited by either of the partner or shared. Exactly. And the same happens uh, when the owner dies. So if this is not in his last will, the court has to decide what will happen with mm. an animal. It's not just an object, but um, the court should take into account his emotions, to whom mm. the animal is attached to. Yes. But at the same time, I have to underline this is a quite new law. It comes from last year. And what I work now on is analyzing the first, um, well, the first court rulings regarding this issue. And I'm really curious which direction it will go further. This is, uh, is something full of information. And, uh, if it was me, I would just go back a little bit just to understand the context of, uh, of of your profession, of your background, and your research you're doing. What we would like to move forward is with the vegetarianism. You mentioned that you've been a vegetarian. From how long? Since I was a child. Well, but it was difficult to be a vegetarian child in Poland. It's very hard. But yes. So I remember that I was putting... Um, putting meat to a microwave without turning it on so that my mother heard this sound thing and I said and you know I was in the kitchen she was in the living room and I was uh, acting like yeah I, I I have eaten this meat and just putting it somewhere somewhere else uh, or to the trash nowadays I you know now I understand that even if you use leather products if you have them at home it's important to uh to know that it was an animal who, who died because you are using it and throwing it to trash is not also a good idea to, to show them respect. So today I wouldn't do it probably, but I wouldn't also either meet, eat this meat. But I was struggling since I was a teenager for sure to be able not to eat meat. And I remember when I was first pregnant, mm, well, everything changes for a woman. 
And I remember that few doctors told me that I have to eat meat and I was crying, but I couldn't eat this uh, anyway. And I met with a dietitian and she confirmed that, no, don't worry if you take care of what you eat. I remember I was counting all the macros, which I never did, so that I have enough protein for the baby. And um, I have to tell you that many of my friends who were pregnant, they had to uh, supplement iron and I didn't have. And it's a common thing in the pregnancy that uh, pregnant women are told that, hey, you lack iron, so you need to eat red meat. I think this is something very narrow-minded, I find. And meat is something very hard to digest, very, very hard. You require so much of the pranic energy to process and digest the meat. The meat stay in the body for more than three days, 72 hours. And in pregnancy, it's not good at all. Mm. So what I recommend and what I suggest, like, you know, I tell a story that, hey, uh, yeah, you know, when my wife was was pregnant, um, uh, we used to eat lots of dates. And dates, actually, dates, dattel, mm-hmm. dates have more iron content than red meat. Really? Dates are super food. Parsley. And but you have to combine it with uh, with vitamin C. So I was using, I was making like a cocktail of parsley and lemon. And I was drinking it every day. Because, you know, I was doing it for my baby. But just after the pregnancy, I was. it was kind of my routine. And I tried to mm. do it again. And I just couldn't. It was like too much pregnancy I was drinking it and now I can't drink any green cocktail I I had just too many of them in my pregnancy but it worked you know um I think a diet is kind of something very subjective and there every year there's a new kind of trend is coming it's taking over the world and I think it's it's great economically I think it's a great economy it is creating all sort of diet and the supplements ideally being vegetarian, I find, is the most balanced way that you can really sustain very well. And uh, you can also skip this all kind of influential kind of, uh, okay, I should have this kind of supplement, this kind of something. If you are a good vegetarian and you know a diversity of the food that you can take, you actually are healthy. You're not lacking anything. Some people just... Uh, very bluntly say, hey, where you get your protein from? My favorite question. <laughs> so nature is giving us everything. And uh, yeah, for me, I can relate with you because I'm born vegetarian. I Like, you know, first time in my life where I heard the term beef when, when, I, when I was in the UK, when I was... Right. And uh, they are in uh, in a restaurant. I see beef something. Then I ask, what is beef? At that time, I mean, 2007-8. So I did not have a smartphone. So I just had to assume what it could be, lamb or goat or something like this. I had no idea. When I was in Germany and slowly I learned beef means it's a, it's a cow. I mean, I was so disgusted. 
because cows have a special place in India, right? Yeah, because historically we see that as as we start to learn back in the time how to grow your own food, the cow and the ox, they were used. They were useful animal. They grew with the human. They are very emotional. Cows are very emotional being, you know that? Oh, I know. They're very, very emotional. And uh, this is something is so much integral part of our culture. So they are like, you know, and, and people just... Uh, embedded it in the philosophy that okay cow is uh, is very sacred but it gives us so much so we need to respect mm. the cow uh, so this is kind of like you know hands in hand it's just a circle that we are creating as vegetarian that's why cow is very very sacred i mean i can i can imagine that people that who don't have this kind of a relationship with a cow they will not understand it but the people that who really able to understand that, hey, cows actually are very emotional. I think most of the people just kind of ask themselves eating them again. No. <laughs> Maybe yeah. some of them just yeah. ignore it and move on to the next. Yeah, Gosia, so why not we, we come back and talk about uh, your career that you were pursuing in the law firm, like, you know, how everybody is so ambitious and want to move forward what happened there well i was still studying law when i started working in law firm because you know when you have to be successful you have to start early and already find a place in the law firm and work there without being paid for a few years so that you finish your studies and you are able to finally start earning your first money there where you have already worked for years I mean, I have to say it's changing now. It's not as bad as it was when I was starting, but so was it some years ago. And I remember that being in the uh, bottom of the ladder where you are the one who can be blamed for everything and who has to do everything what nobody wants to do. Uh, and also being... Um, being left with the worst clients who are yelling at you and you are only 20 something you can do anything um it's really frustrating and i believe it's true that so typical real lawyers like you see in the movies are people who really have to be strong emotionally uh, maybe some of them are cold but not necessary I'm sure you really have to have a strong personality. I think I'm quite resistant to many things and I uh, I can deal with challenges, but I cannot accept this way of disrespecting people. And I just felt so bad almost every day when I was going back from there that I wanted to leave and not, not study law anymore. But I kept continuing it and then I finished my studies and then I got this dream job in a law firm which which was which I was dreaming about for the last few years. So I continued doing it and I have to say it was a really nice law firm. I have good memories, but it was still challenging and stressful and at the same time I got the position in the university. Mm, I could write my PhD. So in the end, I was working in the law firm for four and a half days. 
and I was working at the university for three days, which means that every weekend and also uh, one and a half day, I was uh, dividing between law firm and university. And I thought I'm so smart and I have such a bright future. So you mean to say that uh, full week you were busy and uh, most of the time that you were investing into your law firm and following your ambition. Yes. And sometime you were also going to the university and devoting some time, one and a half day you mentioned. Yes. Okay. So you're moving forward. When was the time you started to realize that, hey, this is something, um, it's bringing me out of the balance? Well, to be honest, I was already at the at the border of sanity. <laughs> well, it was just too much. And the worst thing is, um, I think we are blessed in Europe that we have holidays. Uh, we are able to take so many days of holidays. And I was using all my days off in the law firm to go to conferences from the university or some courses. So this was frustrating because I didn't even have any days off. I was working on the New Year's Eve, on Christmas Eve, and um, I really didn't know what to do. But then my hormones started to tell me something is going on. I didn't have my period for, for over a year. Um, I started to um, have swallowed face, although my, uh, my body didn't change. I still had the same clothes. I started to look differently. I also swallowed. I, I couldn't look in the mirror. Something was really going, going on and it was wrong. Then, of course, I went to a doctor, first, second, third, and I had some imbalance in the hormones, but it wasn't as severe as I, it shouldn't have such an impact as I feel. How old were you at that time? 24. 24. Or maybe 26. 26, I guess. So, 26. No, I was 26. Yes, I was 26. Wow. So, in this age, and uh, so just getting out of the balance and not having a period for one year, it's a big, big thing for a young person like you. Yes, but at this age, you think you are irresistible. Yeah. You know, you, uh, the world, so you want to conquer the world. So you don't think about hormones and you don't feel you are working too much. So when was the time that was ringing some bell that, okay, I need to change something? What happened? Who told you that, hey, this is something alarming? How you found out about it? Um, and now we go back to the to my tools of finding balance. I've known I'm trapped between one job and the other, but I didn't want to leave any of those. Mm. So I thought I will be smart. I will invent uh, something, something else. And I decided to start new studies. It was an LLM in the United States. And you know, it's um, good for my career. So as well, my boss at the law firm, as everybody at the university understood it, I got an unpaid leave and I was free. And I was able to go to the States and study something interesting. 
uh, it was international commercial law. I was writing about international animal trade. So um, I have very good memories of this time, wonderful memories actually. And I remember this was time when first I flew away from this difficult situation um, where I really didn't know what path should I choose, whether the university or law firm and what should I do. And first then I realized that I have to really change something and give up on at least one of those things when I go back to Poland. Um, and so I did. But in the meantime, uh, I was trying to uh, get uh, on track with my hormones and uh, I got some medicine hormones from, from the doctors and they told me, well, we have to put you back to the hospital when you come back from the States. But actually, you know, if you would get pregnant, basically it's impossible because probably we'll never be able to get pregnant with your problems. You were told that yes. you maybe you are not going to get pregnant yes and of course as you listen to me i it doesn't seem like i would to have kids i had so many things to do in my life but when somebody told me that i might not be ever able to have kids and actually it's rather impossible that i will get pregnant but maybe before you come to poland you can try just not to do anything against it, maybe a miracle would happen. And um, my husband was uh, was visiting me. Um, of course, uh, we were seeing each other, but I thought, okay, it's not working. I'm, I'm still not pregnant. I'm not having my period. I will just go back uh, to Poland and go to the hospital. And actually, uh, indeed, a miracle happened because I didn't have, I still didn't have my period. Somehow I got pregnant with my first son and it was a very difficult pregnancy because I was in such a bad shape before getting pregnant that nobody knew actually which week of pregnancy it is and what to do with it. Um, I had to lie down for the first three uh, months. So actually all the situation with work, mm, that the solution already came because I couldn't go back to work. Um, and then when I was pregnant, everything in my mind changed and I never got back to the law firm. But I have to underline, I don't say that working in the law firm is wrong. It's just what wasn't good for me. And what helped me to see what is good for me and what is not was when I got my children because everything in my mind changed and before that, I wasn't able to fight for myself. But now I know that when I fight for myself, I also fight for my kids because the, I am the role model for them. Mm. And when they see me too tired to overwork, that, that they see me disrespected, that they see me pushing myself um, too much, they they will keep it in their minds and also do the same. Yes. So they are my balance since then. Mm. Wow. So your children are inspiring you to be more mindful. So just to share something with you with the miracles, see. Um, so this this was also the mantra of the week 
at True Yoga a few weeks ago. So it goes like this. Be rational, but, but leave the space for the miracle. Yes. So this is something um, uh, I find it's not just a mantra of the week. I think this is kind of a philosophy that, okay, you can be just as rational and practical and do what you can do. You do everything. Also be a little bit optimistic. You know, you never know what else can take place. So for that, you need to have a faith. Faith not in something external, but faith in yourself. Just kind of, you're telling yourself a story that, okay, I'm doing what I can do. And I'm open. Mm -hmm. I'm open for something that I don't even know what else can take place. So this is truly a miracle. So you were told that you're not going to be a mother, but you only took it as a pinch of salt and just then move forward in your life. Imagine there are some people who will take the words like that just literally and then they really manifest that as well in their life. Yeah, they just accepted your emotions, your thoughts and your energies. It's playing a very important role. It is creating your reality. But it's also maybe important that I was never too much attached to any ideology. For example, uh, as I told you, I didn't plan having kids so early because today having kids, especially as a lawyer uh, or a researcher before 30 years old, it's quite early. But um, at this time, I I wasn't sure if I want to have kids and if if I will want to have kids, I might also adopt them if it will be too late. So it wasn't like a big concern. Uh, for me, but I can imagine that for some people who are trying for years to get pregnant, it might be a really stressful thing. And it's not easy to say, hey, don't worry about it, it's impossible. But we know that the energy and, you know, giving too much pressure is not helping as well, right? Yeah. So there is uh, there is a saying in India, and I think it's very special. And uh, I told it to many people, especially to to the pregnant mothers, that you know, uh, we say that a woman is born two times: one as a girl, second as a mother. And once she's born as a mother, once again. She's a different person. That's true. That's totally true. But uh, in it has many dimensions because I remember myself being a mother of a newborn and later when my children were getting a bit older, but still below two years old, I was indeed a different person. This... Um, this uh, successful and ambitious woman kind of disappeared. I was, you know, I was feeling so good and so warm at home with the kids. And 
I didn't need, I didn't have the need to go out so much. And for example, I know it was difficult for my husband who didn't have these hormones in him. So when we talk about it today, he says, well, he could have more kids, but myself being in this uh, early motherhood mode was very challenging for him. And that's rather the reason he rather would not have more kids. So is enough because he wants to have me being myself, but I'm still not the same person as I was before the kids. Yes. So how you, you came across to yoga? So when was the first time you remember that you heard about yoga or you read somewhere and you were, or maybe you were introduced or, or maybe your friends were gossiping about yoga? So I was waiting for this question. And actually, I, I, we have so many topics. I wanted to start before, but... Don't worry, we, we are going to continue our conversation from time. Just the beginning. So uh, before pregnancy and being so always late everywhere person, um, I was thinking rather that everything is black or white. And I, I was doing fitness and there was also some yoga, but I found it so boring. Oh my God, so boring. But it's not that I didn't look for meditation or, you know, to learn something deeper about myself and inner work because I was looking for it all the time. Uh, and when I was studying already, I started uh, meditation. Uh, my sister who lives in Vienna took me to the uh, Bon Garuda uh, Sangha. And this was the time that I was, because I was studying in Vienna. Uh, so I was really, um, I was meditating a lot and attending many, many courses. And uh, it, it helped me a lot in my life because I was also dealing with depression when I moved to Austria, because I come from Poland, I moved to Austria. For my studies, I felt very lonely there um, and it helped me a lot. So the first step was meditation, but I still found yoga very boring. And as I started, wait, wait, comes <laughs> because, you know, everything was black or white. And I thought, okay, when I want to do fitness, I go and sweat on fitness. When I want to heal myself, I go to meditation and I, I do meditation. And yoga was something in between, but the fact is that I didn't really know what it is, I guess. And, um, you know, what yoga and fitness studios looks like. And since I wasn't interested, I have never met any true yogi. So at this time, yoga was out of the scope of my interest. But then when my son was born, I started to have problems with my spine. And um, many people told me I should try doing yoga. So I was like, oh, I will do yoga, but just for my spine. And I started doing yoga and it was already like a year or no, one, two years before we met. But it wasn't never my 
favorite thing. It was one of the things I liked. At the beginning, I was rather feeling that I have to do it for my health. Then um, I'm also a horse rider, and I heard it will be good for my balance at the horse. Uh, and many riders are were practicing yoga because it's good also for your posture. So I have another motivation, and um, it it lasted some years. And of course, in the end, I found a yoga style which I liked it most. Uh, before I met you, it was vinyasa yoga, so something more, you know, energetical and everything happens more quickly. Um, I liked it. But then I went to Germany and I met you. And since then, yoga became a super important part of my life. Really? Yes. I came back to Poland and I was searching for Ashtanga yoga teachers. Um, well, there are many good teachers, but they also traveling around the world. That's, that's the problem that it's not easy to find an Ashtanga yoga teacher, at least in my city, who can just guide you on a regular basis in person. So I was practicing in Mysore style by myself, also on Zoom, but I knew that I will come back to Heidelberg, uh, even just to, well, not just to see you to see you it was one of my main purposes and if I wouldn't be able to visit the Max Planck Institute again I would probably come anyway maybe for a shorter time but just to do something like a workshop uh, of my stay here and practicing with you I'm glad it really worked out well for you yes it did that's, that's uh, really nice I mean I I'm privileged. I'm very happy that uh, I got to meet you and that I got to learn a little bit about you. And as I mentioned in the beginning, that how um, you were talking about the animal law, that really got my interest. Because before that, I just very vaguely, maybe somewhere I heard it. So that's why I, I was able to relate and being kind of curious to find out. But through that, I started to just kind of uh, know a little bit more about you and we find that, hey, yeah, Gossia is an incredible person. And uh, yeah, I mean, like you're here for a short period, but you're just making most of it. It shows that how much dedicated you are because there is kind of something that you're bringing back home from yoga. So yoga is one way that is restoring your balance. So this is kind of something, a connection, the bridge that we were able to build. Yeah. Now, as you're, as you're mentioning that, 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 that you started to do yoga for your spine and, and because of the horse riding, you learned that yoga is very good for the people. Let me share something with you. So I have students that who are horse riders, they, they have horses. And they, they are they're doing horse riding. And you know one common thing I find? No. That that every person that who was doing a horse riding for a long time, the pelvic is very strong and very tight. That's why. That's that's I think is one of the reasons. So now you know my problem. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So the people that who I'm talking about, they know I'm talking about them as well. So this is kind of something very, very common. And horse riding is, is very, very powerful. So, you know, when you just kind of look back in the history, the people who were horse riders, yeah, of course, they were mostly men back in the time. And those, like, you know, so the horse rider have a character. They have some sort of um, their personality. If you just historically kind of look on those those people who were just... Uh, at the tales and as the story, as like the heroes, they have characteristics. Their pelvic is very, very strong. They are, they are absolute. They are able to suppress and control their emotion. They, they have this uh, like magical power to be very stoic. Super interesting. I have to think. So you, just when you're hearing those kind of uh, like tales or the stories of those knights and uh, and the people who are horse riders, you'll find that because horse riding has a huge impact on the pelvic of men mm -hmm. and women both, of course. So just just as to share with you as a as a trivial. So Gosia, why not uh, you share something about uh, when you were in Austria? And, and like, you know, how was it there? You said like you felt alone there. You said you, you have uh, your sister there. Why you were feeling alone? Well, uh, my sister is 15 years older, so she already had her children who were small. She, uh, actually, just when I moved to Vienna, she moved into the suburbs. Of course, she was helping me. She was amazing, but I didn't have friends uh, and I feel that it's not so easy to find friends um, when you are a student uh, and in Austria people are not maybe so open as in some other countries that's what's what I felt at least because um, I met my husband in the end in Austria mm. and he was studying in Germany uh, so I remember that when I was visiting him in Germany, we were both for a shorter period of time in Germany than in Austria, but I had many more friends there than, than in Vienna. And uh, for, the, for my first year in Vienna, I desperately wanted to, my German to become almost native and not to have Polish friends, to only have been in touch with, with the Austrians. Germans, but in the end, I was so lonely. <laughs> it didn't work out. Um, and um, and after a while, I also met some Polish people. And when I met Polish people, they also have Hungarian friends. There were many people from Hungary as well. And we had a beautiful, uh, beautiful group of friends uh, in the in the dorm, and it was really nice. But when you ask why I was so lonely, I think that it's because I couldn't do horse riding as well. Because it was always a very, very important part of my life. Mm. Uh, and when we talk about yoga and finding balance, well, yoga, I think, is the best and most straightforward path to to. to, to to get into balance but when I was younger I didn't know yoga and I always felt affection to horses 
and I remember that I felt this calmness when I was among crisis. And when I was already studying and I was in Austria, I realized how much I miss it. And every week, I see it even today. I still have my horse. My horse is super happy just running on green paddocks. And I visit him and we go on a walk. I walk next to him, like with a dog. It's much more common than riding on him because now I'm, uh, it's very controversial, the ethics of horse riding. And I even have uh, many controversies in myself. So um, I'm changing maybe the topics, but my horse is with me since it he, since he was born, so he just started to be ridden. Mm. And I believe that we have a very good connection and I ride on him without a bridle. Yes. So, you know, without this thing. Yes, without saddle. And yeah, without, uh, without having leash. Yes, yes. So without a saddle actually isn't good for the horse because mm -hmm. it's, it's worse for his back. Okay, uh, okay. So, so saddle, saddle is okay. Yes. But this is kind of something that goes through the nose. Yes. Well, actually, there are many different views. Some people say that if you know how to use it, sometimes it's better to to use it than to use different tools. But, um, well, uh, I don't know who my audience is, so I try to be neutral. I was just writing a research article about ethics in equestrian sports. Mm. Because, uh, you know, if people would really be ethical using horses, it would be a beautiful sport. But unfortunately, not everybody is. And the problem is that the sport federations have autonomy from the law. Mm. This autonomy is not uh, infinite, mm. but, but there is some sort of autonomy. And the ethical issues of horse riding, I left to the Equestrian Federations. And now there is um, a big issue of looking for a social license of horse riding. And I would rather say uh, re-receiving uh, re of the social license because uh, many bad things happen in equestrian sports lately. But also, I have to say that uh, I'm, I see the future in good mm. colors because the people are talking about it. Mm. Things are changing. Uh, and I know how my friends are treating mm. their horses. And it's, it's a really beautiful connection. Mm. But, uh, but one has to be really... Uh, uh, we have to... We have to pay attention when we talk about these topics because it's it's very controversial, controversial right now. So the format of the podcast is something which is uh, different from from the media. So in podcasts, we have the freedom to talk about the topics openly. So that's okay. <laughs> so I can. Um, so I don't know if you saw a video, so I saw um, a small short that in that um, a woman is trying to climb on her horse and without without the saddle and she's trying again and again and the horse know her 
right? Horse is just, mm-hmm. she know her and, and she is trying and falling down. At some point, she totally fell down. The horse observing it and and when she got up, horse sat down to to let her sit. That moved my heart. Horse are very, very intelligent. They are very loyal. Yeah. Very, very loyal. So, um, you know, um, we we know, so in India, there is a poem on the horse. Horse name is Chetak. Uh-huh. So, so this horse was a companion of a warrior that who was protecting his land from the invaders. And there was a huge war going on again and again and again. This horse was a great warrior as well. Like, you know, and they kind of working like one. And at some point in one of the battle that this warrior got surrounded by many people and the horse realized it that now it's time to run. But the horse rider, the warrior don't want to leave. But the horse took charge to leave. And as he's leaving, he got hurt on the leg. Mm. But he just keep on running, going as far out as possible from the battlefield. And the horse come to a cliff and jump from there across the river as he land, like he just his leg burst and he just passed away. But he saved. Yes, my goodness. I love your stories. This and that's like you know, and then it's a heart wrecking, um, a cry of this warrior Maharana Pratap. His name is. And uh, people still sing the song for that horse and his uh, his loyalty and his uh, it's kind of like you know how she yeah because of him that that uh, that uh, their kind of their culture able to survive it's incredible horses are just uh, incredible beings like the cows. <laughs> But actually, this is also very interesting because you were talking about the cows. Now we are talking about horses. Um, there is also one of my projects. How different animals are treated in different cultures. Look, in Europe, people eat cows, beef. In India, you... Oh, I cannot say... I don't know if I can say worship cows. Uh, they are very important. We treat them sacred we talk to them like you will talk to a horse of course i do all the time yeah even though i i i must also mention that it's not black and white um unfortunately people are becoming very selfish as well because of this urbanization which is happening on the rapid scale and because of uh, of lack of the resources what people do mostly and it's unfortunate and there are some people who are doing incredible work for those cows when the cow is not giving enough milk or just not able to give milk they just kind of let her go Mm. on the street so so this is some this is very sad this is very sad and uh, this happened and there are also the people that who take those cows and bring them to cows shelter and serve them. My God, they do incredible work. And uh, people having this awareness now more and more in India. So people are donating their food. For example, if they have some kind of bread, 
in their house, they left. A person comes in a trolley and with, with a loudspeaker that he's here for this yakao uh, shelter and give us the food or the vegetables that you have chopped and left over that he bring them in the containers back there. So like, you know, so everything just kind of working out as well. So I, I, I feel very proud of that. However, it's not fully there yet, but this is the way. Like cows are very integral part of uh, our culture. Yeah, I mean, we, we not only cows are sacred, dogs are sacred as well. Horses are sacred. Every living being is sacred. You know, if you just observe it in that way, in, in, in a holistic no way. And that's how it should be because we all live together in this world. Now. Yeah. Yes. I mean, every being on this earth should be respected. And it's important for this world yeah. to go Yes. On. Even this is kind of something our son see as well. We never educate him, hey, do this or do that. He just observe us. And he just followed that if he sees some like insects is in the middle of a street and he know that, you know, it could be crushed. He just very nicely, very gently bring him to the corner in the bushes. Beautiful. I think this is something uh, yes. exceptional. It cannot be taught to a child. That's true. My children do the same. Yeah. But, well, it's not always so beautiful because my younger son is four. And sometimes, well, he told me once when we were falling asleep that he wanted so much to save this bike, but he was so interested what sound he makes when he crushes it. And he cried that he did it, but he admitted that he did it. And, well, it was said to me to hear that he did it, but what could I do? So I said, well, it's important that you, that you told me and that you don't want to do it in the future. And in most times they are together saving the ants and everything. Now my older son is super interested in bees because, um, you know, bees are very, were always very important, but especially today they have a special place, uh, even in, in the media. Yeah. So, uh, he, he wants to save all the bees and he wants us to have bees in the garden. Yeah. It's getting serious. Mm. So now we are almost in the ending phase of uh, our conversation. Wow. This conversation was authentic, heartwarming, and insightful. I'm hoping that you got enough ideas for yourself in this episode of Restoring Balance podcast. I would love to hear from you. What do you think about this episode? 